Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. And welcome to those of you who are in the room. It's great to have you all, and it's great to be able to gather in the house of the Lord. We are in this series called Be the House, and we're focusing on who we are as a church and where we're going and what God did in Ezra and what he did, what he's going to do as he rebuilds his church. Our vision is very simple to make Jesus known. Everybody wants to make something known. Everyone has something to say today. Everyone has a position, a point, a political view, whatever it is. But listen, there's only one thing that needs to be our primary goal is to make Jesus no. Live our lives, build our church to make Jesus himself known. That's why we're doing this series called Be the House from Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, Old Testament scholars, you know all about that. But just know that there's three major themes. We talk about this every week, three major themes. God is only partially in control. Amen? No. Carol, shake your head really good right now. Yeah. God is firmly in control. He's firmly in control. God, and also, secondly, God works through His people to accomplish His purpose. God is always at work, and He wants to work through normal, everyday, really handsome people like you to accomplish His purpose, right? He wants to work through His people. And then finally, God uses His Word to convict and to encourage His people. I'm so grateful for God's Word. And that's what we preach here at First Baptist Delray. We want people to understand, to proclaim God's word constantly so they understand who Jesus is. And he uses his word to convict. So yes, get ready. You might get convicted. But conviction is a mighty thing, isn't it? I'm so glad that as a nine-year-old God convicted me. I'm so glad he convicted me this week. Anybody get convicted this week? Don't raise your hand. Oh, yes, that's all a part of you. Thank you for being honest about that, Mike Fitzpatrick, man. I was, I was going to call you about that. I was going to share with you, Mike. Listen, man. No, just kidding. Uh, I saw Jim Bast as well. Way to go, Jim. Good, nice job. But seriously, conviction is a blessing because it's an opportunity to repent. It's an opportunity to reconnect with God to be, to be cleansed, right? These are the themes that we're in in Ezra and Nehemiah. Today's, the title of today's message is The Roar. The Roar. Do we have any roarers out there? Any good people are really good at roaring because you're going to get your opportunity, Mike Keller, in just a few minutes. We need some good people who can really roar. This is not going to be a silent close to the service. Sometimes we do hit that, right? We'll have a very worshipful time. We'll end very quietly. Tonight, today we're going, to, we're going to finish loud, and I need you to be loud. So get ready. And I know that tonight some of you are going to be roaring watching some game at 6.30 between the Bucks and the Chiefs. I know that's going to happen. So you can get excited and go ahead. We're going to get you warmed up. You're going to roar for something way more important than the fact that the Bucks are going to win. Amen? All right. I'm from Missouri, so I'm kind of torn. Let me ask you, what do you miss about the past? What is it that you're like, man, I just would like to go back and do that one more time? It's gone, but you wish you could. Moms like Julie, well, they wish that they could go back just for, just for one day when they were little. 
One day when you could make them cookies and play in the mud and make little things with them and do little crap, just, just, just one day. Not forever, but just a day. Maybe you wish you could go back and maybe spend time with someone who's gone on. A loved one, a spouse even, maybe a child or, or a grandparent or a parent. Just to sit with them. Just to be with them. You miss that about the past. I think for me, one of the things that was a, a real turning point, and there, there are those real turning points in our lives, aren't they? When you know that what's past is gone, and there's something new that's about to happen. For me, it was when I gave our daughter to some guy <laughs> who's now our associate pastor, so I don't know how that all came together, but um, I remember thinking as I'm, I'm out there, right out there in the back lawn back there, and I'm thinking, I'm giving, I mean, this is, this is my most precious relationship besides my wife. I mean, my sons are amazing. They're great men, but you don't have to worry so much about sons for some reason because, I mean, you threatened to kill them their whole life, right? So they're going to be fine. But your daughter, your daughter, there's just something about saying, okay, dude, here she is. Hope it works out. You know, take good care of her. But you're, you're cheerful as a dad. It's a hard time. But the alternative is unacceptable. As I'm getting out of the car and I'm about to take her down the aisle and she looks way too beautiful for anybody to give away and I'm thinking, all right, well, I know this is a godly man. I know this is what needs to happen. I got to let go of the past. And while I'm going to mourn that a little bit, I know if I were to say no and I would have put her back in the car and drive her home and lock her in the house, that that'd be horrible. She'd miss that opportunity to be a wife and a mother. And she's going to be a mother this week, incidentally, uh, which is why she's not here right now, because moving around is a big deal, apparently, in your last week of pregnancy. Um, she'll hear this and say, hey, baby, I love you. Um, it just got me well overcome right there. Everybody laugh. So, help him. You got to let go of the past, even though it was wonderful. And you got to look forward to the new thing God is doing. Amen. Always celebrate the new thing God is doing, even though we recognize there is loss in what's left behind. I miss my kids when they were little. I miss my daughter being my daughter, not belonging to that associate pastor of ours. I miss the time when our kids were together and I would drive them to school and we would listen to songs on the radio and we would pretend that, that we would think of the best meaning for the lyrics, even though they were clearly pagan leaders. Anybody ever do that? You probably are too godly to listen to sucker music, but when I was a kid, you know, uh, who's going to drive you home? She just needs a ride, that's all. Um, I've lost my way, honey. Help me. Always we have to celebrate the new things God is doing, even though we know there's some things we leave behind that are difficult. I'm um, looking at Mike over there. You know, he's got uh, 26 kids, and man, they're constantly growing and developing and leaving those. You're enjoying your son playing ball right now. It's not going to last forever, is it, man? Well, it might with him. I don't know. But uh, yeah. But you know, that's really what's happening in Ezra. This is a key moment for the children of Israel. 
In Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 and following, we're going to see them do something amazing because they are making one of those turning points. The foundation of the temple is being laid. Now, just to put this in context, they had been the people of God. Remember the seed of Abraham. Made a great nation. Went through Egypt. God rescued them miraculously through Egypt. Brought them across the wilderness. Settled them in the land. They became a great nation. David was, was conquering all the land. It was incredible. And they were at their height. And then Solomon built this temple, which was the, the symbol of God connecting with his people, right? God's meeting with people on earth through this amazing temple that actually points forward to something else we'll talk about in a minute. But they, they had this incredible temple, and they think that is the power of God. They almost feel invincible as long as that temple is standing with the Ark of the Covenant in it. That's who these people are. It's incredible. But then, rebellion, idolatry, disaster. Eventually what happens is they get hauled off into exile by the Babylonians and the temple is destroyed. 50 years plus in Babylon and then God moves and this is what God does. He moves in the heart of a pagan idolatrous King Cyrus and says, hey Israelites go back and build your temple. Go back to Jerusalem, build the walls, build the, rebuild the city. I want to see this. And God moves in the heart of 50,000 of the probably 2 million Jews at that time to go back and to rebuild the temple. And they, they, first of all, they build the altar. Talked about this last week. And they, they restored worship in their lives on a morning and an evening basis. And they start to restore worship. And then they start to build the house. And that's where we are in verse 8 of chapter 3 of the book of Ezra. Look with me, if you will. It says, Now in the second year after coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltel, and Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, made a beginning. Together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. And they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Yeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadab. And the Levites, their sons and brothers. So they started this process of rebuilding the temple. And notice how, how Ezra, probably the author here, says that there are different types of people involved. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's not just the craftsmen. It's not just the priest. It's not just the son of the king. It's everybody getting involved. And there are leaders of the there are leaders of the priests, there's the Levites, and there's these this whole leadership structure so that this, the house can be built in an orderly and effective manner. I love that. See, that's what we do in the church, isn't it? It's not just about those who have been to seminary. It's not just about those who are called to be pastors or or deacons or committee members. It's about everyone has a role. See, it says, and all the people that came up from Babylon, all the exiles, they all had a part in rebuilding the house, the temple. Everyone has a role. We're constantly doing that as a church. We're constantly building the church, developing disciples to what? To be the house, the connection point of God with those around us. That's, that's what we're called to do. So we're constantly, people come to us sometimes and they have a lot of 
a lot of experience, and we can use them in different ways, help them find where God wants them to serve. Sometimes people come, often, most of the time, people come to us and they're new to the faith, which is really amazing because they don't have any idea, and they're just ready for God to use them. And we get to plug them into great opportunities to minister, to worship, to help this be the connection point between God and his people. It's so fun to see people do that. And right now, as we're coming back from COVID, we're rebuilding almost all of our teams. We're seeing people take roles of greeters and ushers and children's workers and uh, you name it. We're doing it right now. So it's an exciting time. But just like the children of Israel, we are building God's house. And you are God's house. Together, we are the place where people can connect with Jesus Christ. Verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. Now understand, let me pause there for a moment. So we have the trumpets blowing, not a quiet affair, right? This is going to be loud. Uh, the cymbals are crashing. Not a, not a soft affair. The sons of Asaph, and if you've read Psalms much of all, you, you've seen that some of the Psalms are accredited to the sons of Asaph. These are the writers. These are the worship leaders. Um, verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Can you imagine not being able to worship for a very long time? Some of you can. Some of you have been there. You haven't been able to gather with God's people. And for them, it, they were so distant from Him. They were away from the, the primary place where God met with His people. There was some worship that certainly happened in exile, but nothing like this. Nothing where they were going to gather. And this, this house was going to be built, this place of God's connection, and really indicated God's favor in His people. The reconnection was happening. And they sang out, God is good. For his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Now understand, they had God had just allowed them to be in exile. But he brought them back. See, all that they had been through, they're crying out, God is good, his steadfast love endures forever toward us. Let me ask you very personally right now, feel God's steadfast love towards you. Do you have a sense in your life that everything you've been through, even the difficulties of 2020, and maybe you've been through some very severe, hard times, is God, has God been faithful to you? It's a really important question. Do you have a sense of God's faithfulness in your life? Can you sing that out? He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Just the fact that we get to be in His presence. I believe the Holy Spirit is right here, right now. The fact that we get to gather and worship right here, right now, indicates His steadfast love endures forever. It's not dependent on an election. It's not dependent on a nation. It's not dependent on anything other than the fact that God's going to do what God's going to do. And we have the opportunity to be His people. Verse 12. 
But then something happens. And it's interesting that as people view the same events, they have two different perspectives. Look at verse 12. It says, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. What's going on here? There were some people who were old enough to remember the great and amazing temple, the original temple, Solomon's temple. It was incredibly beautiful. Gold everywhere. Tremendously impressive. And as they saw this new foundation being laid, they began to weep. And literally wail and cry out in a loud voice at what was lost. See, the new temple wasn't the same as the old temple. And even as the foundation is being laid, they knew it was not going to be as glorious as the old temple, as, as impressive to the eye as the old temperature, as the old temple. It was going to be much simpler. Most of us have lived long enough to see the church change. Amen? The church has changed since I was a kid and I came in an uncomfortable pair of nice dress shoes and the preachers would all sit on the thrones. Remember the thrones? Raise your hand if you remember the thrones, okay? Remember the thrones, and they were like here, there'd be like one over here, and the worship leader would try to look interested through the whole message, and that was really hard because it really wasn't that interesting. And remember the thrones? Church looks different today, doesn't it? We dress differently. We, our music is different. There's a lot of things that are different. Why? Because the church needs to be the most effective, authentic body of Christ in the setting that she finds herself in find this all over the world as we look at different churches and different cultures. That's why the church continues to change, to be the connection point for God and his people, for God and the people around us. I love the experiencing God. Henry Blackaby quote, he used to say this all the time. We got to spend a couple of weeks with him one time, and he used to say this all the time. You can't stay where you are and go with God. You can't Stay where you are and go with God. Jesus was always moving. I think that's why you didn't have a Jesus house where he hung out, right? Jesus was always moving. He said to the disciples upon the, the Sea of Galilee, he said, stay here and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say that, did he? He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he proceeded to travel all around the area. Come unto me. All you weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, come, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me if you want to come after me. And one of my favorites, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There's always this sense of moving forward. Throughout Scripture, there's what they call, theologians call the progressive revelation of God. We don't know everything in Genesis that we'll know in Revelation, do we? He is constantly revealing himself. We have to be ready to move on, not hold on to the past. You see, the future is built on the past in God's church, isn't it? But it must never be a slave to it. 
The future is built on the past. It's built on what God has revealed in his word. It's, what God, it's built on what God has done in his church. I'm built on who I was as a nine-year-old when I came to Christ, but I'm not a nine-year-old anymore. I'm a 59-year-old. Whew, that was hard to say. Um, 50 years. I'm still in my 50s, though. Although, technically, this is my 60th year. You realize that? Ooh. The future is built on the past. We must not be a slave to it. And as the people saw what was, they began to cry. They remembered what was. And they remembered the glory of that temple and that things would change, that God was now going to use a much simpler temple. And they also realized, you know what? This temple is being built, but we're not even really a nation anymore. We don't have any political power. We thought the temple was going to be God's presence, that we were going to physically conquer the world. And now what's happening is we're building this temple, and we're under the rule of Babylon. And they would always be under the rule of someone until 1946, right? They always have been under the rule of someone. No more would they be able to exert political power and nationalized power around the world. It's really interesting, isn't it? See, God's church is not limited to a nation. It's not a nation. It's a kingdom. It cuts across every nation. No borders can stop God's church. But still, they're thinking, oh, what we used to be, what we used to be. And they had to also be thinking, man, there's so much has been lost. We've missed this. We missed 50 plus years, and it would be 70 years until the temple was actually completed. 50 plus years, we haven't been able to, we haven't been connected to our God. There's great weeping in that. But they had to let it go. And so as they're weeping and as they're wailing, others are excited. They've never seen the temple. This is the first thing they've ever seen. They're excited. They've heard about it. And now it's happening that they get to connect with God. And so the shout goes out and they get excited. And so the older people who remember what was had to release the past as they stepped into the future. It's literally like walking your daughter down the aisle. You're releasing the past and ushering her into the future. Let me ask you, is there something you need to release? Something from the past that holds you back in worship? Maybe something God allowed in your life? Maybe, maybe something that happened, maybe even in a church, maybe years ago as a pastor or someone or a leader that hurts you. Is there something you need to release? Maybe it's something great from the past that you kind of constantly go back to. Oh, I wish we could do that again. I wish it was this way again. I wish. Is there something that's holding you back in worship? You need to let it go. Say, Jesus, I want to worship you. I want to, I want to do the new thing with you. If we're going to be the house, we have to release the past as we celebrate the new thing that God is doing. See, in those days, God was moving away from this ornate, this beautiful, this majestic house, and he was building this kind of really, kind of normal-looking place. It wasn't nearly as impressive. And God was really saying in that, listen, folks, it's not about the majesty of the house. It's about the one who fills the house, right? 
And he's getting them ready for what? Ultimately, that Jesus would be the house. He would say, I am the temple, and I will be broken down and raised up in three days. And then he makes his people, the church, his house. See, that's what he's preparing them for. He wants to get their eyes off of the temple as just a structure, and he wants to get their eyes on him and how Jesus would one day be the temple. And he wants them to celebrate this new thing that God is doing. What new thing does God want to do in your life to help you be the house? What does he want to do? Some of you have lots of experience. Some of you not much at all. What's the new thing that he wants to do? How can you be the place, your life, individually and in the church, the place where people encounter Jesus Christ? For some, it's just to say, God, I want to do that. I don't know how. I don't want to do it. Because some of the people in this story, they didn't know how to build a temple. They had to be told. They had to be directed. They got it done. Is there anything that holds you back? And what does God want to do with you? Is there a place that you need to serve? So you know what? I'd like to get involved in this. Like get, we have, like I said, we have all these teams we're building right now. But individually, do you see your life as the temple? The place where, the place where people encounter God just by encountering you. That's the new thing that God wants to do. That's what God wants to do through his church. And when that happens, when we are the house, both individually and corporately, the roar of worship will be heard far away. See, verse 13 says, and the roar was heard far away that no one could miss the fact that God was doing something. People could hear across the plain. They would say, oh my goodness, something is happening in Jerusalem, and we'll see next week that that brought opposition, and it will come. When we worship, and when we look forward to what God is going to do, it's heard everywhere, and his name is made great and glorified throughout the world. So let me ask you, are you ready to roar? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.